Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed all the works of devil as before, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, selfishness. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkadzi in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The place of Holy Scripture, the letter to the Ephesian Church, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth. And the word that we are that is going to be presented to us today is taken from this series of sermons of our Apostle Brother Argadi, which is a calling to all those who have loved the word of the Lord. And I would like to remind us of those truths that we at one time have already been shared with, with our Apostle. And this is the right to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed into a new way. And for the fulfillment of this commandment, we can say that this is a faithful commandment. There are three basic commands and verbs. These are to set aside, renew, and to clothe. Pastor provided us a definition of this commandment as it being faithful. Scripture defines that the fate is from the Lord, Proverbs 29, 26. The fate of a man is in the hands of God and of thought. What is a fate? What is a fate? And as somebody who can look perhaps in dictionaries, what do different definitions that are given to it? Fate, fate is a lot. It's a portion, inheritance, decree, death, chance, opportunity, cup, producer. But what is interesting is that the definition of fate was is in was in the Russian language from the 11th century, and it sounded like judgment, judge, justice, and decree, judge, judgment. Many definitions define this thought, like the following. So, like what I what I had just read, 
and in our translation, the fate of man is from the Lord. But all other translators say, many want to be friends with the rulers, but the Lord is the only one who judges righteously. All of scripture is filled with the idea that judgment comes from the Lord. From this, we search not for favor from anywhere else but from the Lord, and we walk not before people but before God. Therefore, a faithful commandment is the correct and faithful relationship that we have with God, and His judgment is like a reward, a reward for those who entered into the fulfillment of their calling, collaborating with the truth, and in doing so, rejecting the program of the fallen cherubim. And as it's a judgment for those who rejected the path of faithful relations with God, for them, faithful is going to be in the format of a decree in forever condemnation. And looking at these verbs like set aside, to renew, and to clothe, it doesn't, it's not written in what method to do this and with what means it is necessary to set aside the former way of life and how to renew our thinking and finally how to begin the process of being clothed into the new man. Specifically from deciding these three fateful questions will depend whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. Or rather, will the perfection of our salvation be present that is given to us in the format of a deposit or will we lose it forever? Because of which, our names would forever be blotted out of the book of life. Despite the fact that at one time they were written there. The Lord had said before that many who come to Him will reject His order in His building and will choose for themselves their own order and their own service, which Cain had done, the one who was the firstborn on this earth. And as it was noted that Cain was that person that spoke personally with God, this did not help him. Where did he go after the field? He went away from the Lord into the land of Nod, having chosen it for himself. But it for him was the land of curse, although he called it the land of blessing. If a person puts his face down and departs from the Lord after the sin he committed and does not repent, then he, after this, cannot make a fateful decision and be found in blessing. Cain left the order of God and began to make up a new new order, a new order that has no room for God's makeup. Just like today, today in churches, they for 15, 20 years in their church and they say that they know everything, but this is far from the truth. This is the killing of Abel inside of ourselves and our departure to the land of Nod. This is a lie, but a voluntary decision. The decision that is made voluntarily, but the result of this is that a person refused to set aside a former way of life, and when he had refused, then he cannot renew his thinking and to clothe something. We, in a certain format, have already looked at the first two questions and have stopped to study the following question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill so that through our renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves, clothing ourselves, not somebody, not our spouse, not our husband, not our friends, not our children, of course, into the powers of our new man created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. 
We have noted that our new man it, that is necessary for us to be clothed into, this is our inner or inmost man that was born from the imperishable seed of the Word of God, which lives in our body together with the old man, and which battles with our old man continually. A new man does not seek ways to find legal contact with the old man. The new man knows that the old man is the enemy, but the old man tries to collaborate with the new man and as a result to destroy him. But there comes a time when there will be an end to this enmity and the new man is going to gain full authority over, over the body. And this belongs to the caddy category who have heard the trumpet of the Lord and answered. Those have accepted the fivefold ministry as the true order of God. Those that left the house of their father and their corrupt desires. Those that set aside the power of their intellect to begin to acknowledge the authority of the voice of the man of God. Those that accepted the promise at the door of hope. Those that desire to become a warrior of a prayer in the dignity of king, priest, and prophet, those that rejected the authority of the fallen cherubim, however it may manifest itself in us, he who entered into the Sabbath and began to honor it, and there are a lot of other definitions that we can add to this list. And when we have the presence of these segments, then in our body there will be the new man that will express itself, and there will be no place for the old man that remains. This process is tied to time, and it seems as though time is tearing and in such resistance. The same thing like in time, the two anointed kings, one on the throne and the other who was anointed as king and is found in another country. Of course, we know that this is Saul and this is King David. And their resistance was very long, lengthy. Scripture says, and the enmity between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted lengthy. The house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, while the house of David grew stronger. This process, although is difficult, but is very desired. Just like a pregnant woman is scared of birth, but yet desires to gain the infant and lives according to this. A woman, when she gives birth, she endures torment because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she does not remember this affliction because this person has now been born. We know that in Christ Jesus there is no male nor female gender. This is our mutual calling to go through death that gives new life. Because the new man, according to its nature, is initially righteous, holy, unfading, and undying. Although for a time being it is in the corruptible body, it is in the fourth dimension of the unseen and the eternal realm. In this manner, our new man carries the dimension of eternity in time. Therefore, it does not depend on time and in fact rules over time because it looks at the unseen, lives by the unseen, and strives toward the unseen. Thanks to this, it calls the inexistent in time inheritance of Christ as existent. In other words, it proclaims with its mouth the treasures of faith contained in the heart as unfading inheritance, pure, 
and unperishable, imperishable. Therefore, the right to be clothed in the powers of our new man is the right to rule over time. Because without ruling over time, it is impossible to be clothed in the garments of righteousness to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. This is our decision to fulfill the command that tells us again with what time and according to what truths we should clothe ourselves into the new man. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verses 5 through 7 highlights this thought with the following words. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And we should remember that we are talking not about some kind of one commandment, but multitude. Here we see multitude. In a wise man's heart, we know a wise man's heart, the definition, the conversation is surrounding the fact. Someone who has a wise heart has prepared his heart to hearing the word of the Lord when he goes into the house of the Lord. He works with the soil in his heart. He works with himself. Somebody hears with his ear, but listens with his heart. That's why the word obedience comes from the word to listen to. To listen is the acceptance of the information. Observe prudently how you are listening. To him who has, he will be given. To him who does not have what he thinks to have, will be taken from him. And so, the heart of the wise know the time and the statute, because for everything there is its time and its statute. Yes, God has promised that he will fulfill the specific promise, but he will fulfill them in a specific time and according to his statute. A person must know this time and on his end to collaborate with the statute. It is great woe to a person that he doesn't know what it will be and how it will be. And the most sorrowful is that a person rejected the one whom God has sent, who can tell him about this. And here it is written, who will tell him of this? Those, there are those that are selected in churches that never had the mantle of a teacher and his anointing. And those that follow after him, they will not be able to be true disciples and they cannot be able to have the mantle of discipleship. Based on this and other places of scripture, without ruling over time expressed in the observance of the commandments that contains in itself the knowledge of the time and statute, it is impossible to be clothed in the garments of righteousness in order to fulfill the perfect justice of our Father, which we are called to. And when examining the nature of the new man, we decided to look at the process of being clothed in the power of the new man or ourselves, the clothing of ourselves into the new man. We looked at it from seven different angles and seven virtues, although many more exist. First, this is a person clothed in the garments of salvation, clothed in the robe of righteousness, crowned with the crown of the bridegroom, decorated with the ornaments of a bride, fifth, dressed in a wedding garment, dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, and those who accepted the representative force of the Yahweh of hosts. When examining these virtues, we highlighted the fact that all of these virtues are located in one another, find themselves in one another, come from one another, support one another, and they serve to ratify the truth and authenticity of one another. 
And in the book about Isaiah, we discovered four of these virtues, one after the other. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That was two. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. Three. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Four. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11. Very important aspect to note that this is not going to be in mystery or in a dark place. This is going to happen before all the people. God has the desire to boast of His people, His nation, before all the nations. Because the light is impossible to hide. He is going to, he's going to show this, and this is His and His natural nature. So today we are going to look at looking at the robe of righteousness, or rather the price that is necessary to pay for the right to be clothed in the robe of righteousness. And we have stopped to study the seventh condition. This is being paying the price to be clothed in the robe of righteousness, being clothed in the redemption that is due to being observant of the Lord's Pesach according to the statute set by God. Today we'll look at John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58 that talks about the Pesach. Then Jesus said to them, to the disciples, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Take a look that after these words of Jesus to the disciples, many Many had loved him after this. These words were difficult to accept from the teacher. They had to be vigilant, and we have to be vigilant so this does not happen to us. This did not enter the, the minds of the people who learned the Torah from their childhood, and they didn't understand anything from these words, and there are those that did not leave. They did and acted as we should. How did they act? It is necessary to place this unknown on the golden table before the Lord, and this is the food for God, because all that we understand is our food, and it burns in our lamp, in our spirit, and that which we do not understand yet accept. This is the food of the Lord, and in doing so, we place this in the vessel, and in doing so, we demonstrate our trust of the Lord in the fact that He speaks this to us. And we do not demonstrate our distaste for this, that do not demonstrate our unsatisfaction that we don't understand it, because it just means that the time has not come. And this means that today we need to keep our heart before the Lord unblemished. We remember the main thing, that the Lord is going to speak to us through the voice of the person whom He has established and empowered to this service. These are not our thoughts, our own revelations. An example is Samuel, who was found in the temple and who heard the voice of the Lord with the voice of his teacher. The Lord turns to Samuel 
and he hears he doesn't hear another voice he hears the voice of elijah and he goes to him and says to him you have called me and here he does this seven times several times this means that he knew the voice of elijah well furthermore jesus says my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him as the living father sent me and i live because of the father so he who feeds on me will live because of me this is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead he who eats this bread will live forever john chapter 6 verses 53 through 58 we have noted that the main purpose in the worthy eating of the Pesach is comprised of the knowledge through instruction and faith that is contained in the truth of the blood of Christ and the truth of the cross of Christ, which through instruction and faith is called to reveal for us a path to the inheritance that is found in the blood of Christ. If a person, through instruction and faith, will not be taught these two fundamental truths, that are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, then he will not have the opportunity to worthily partake in the feast of the Lord. We came to the conclusion that each detail of the Pesach celebration points to final freedom from the bondage of sin and death while living in the body. And in the New Testament, this is presented in the format of a teaching, and we are called to do this continually, because this is the teaching, because partaking in the Supper of the Lord for each of us, for me as, as well, is called to be understanding, understood, otherwise we will partake in condemnation to oneself. Therefore, worthily partaking is called to free us from sin and death while living in the body. And in the future, on final freedom from the fading body and deadly soul, which thanks to worthily partaking of the Pesic lamb, will be clothed in immortality, or will be transformed in the blink of an eye. And those that have already died, but who have worthily partaken of Pesic, they will arise imperishable. In the Pesach statute, worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb consisted of meeting conditions of certain kinds of clothing that carry the readiness to fulfill God's justice and certain kinds of conditions necessary for worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb. Non-compliance to these conditions in any of their aspects did not free man from execution of the sentence of death. Retribution for sin is death. If on our doorposts there will be blood and the door will be closed from the inside, then the Lord says that He, passing by, seeing the blood, He is not going to destroy us. And He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you when I strike the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over to you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And for the imperishable treasure of Pesach that contains in itself partaking to the inheritance of God and to the righteousness of God, for them to become our inheritance, Scripture imputed to us the need to fulfill ten conditions, or rather to dwell in these ten conditions, and I'll remind you of them. This is to separate the Pesach lamb and to choose it, to remove all leaven from the house, to sprinkle the blood of the Pesach lamb over the beams and doorposts, to bake the whole Pesach lamb over fire, to gird yourself with a belt, put shoes on your feet, or rather to be a light to the world, to have a staff in your hand, so the soul that you lost and returned in the resurrection of Christ. Eight, to eat the whole lamb, to not choose the truths or promises that we life and to not and to not set aside the things which the mind does not understand and does not want to fulfill. Nine to eat the basic lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Jesus says, But you dwelled with me in my trials, and I tell you, as the my father gave me the kingdom. Luke twenty two, twenty eight through twenty nine. These are these bitter herbs. This is in union with what we heard when we heard Pastor's word to us in the format of comfort. And we ask the question, not why this happened to me, but for what? Bitter herbs are not the harvest. This is an opportunity to sow, to sow in the weakness. This is the state of the opportunity to sow the sowing of each person, and for me, this sounded like as a comforting revelation. Remembering my past, I was sorrowful that I had incorrectly reacted to certain circumstances in life, and that to understand this, people others don't see it this way. And doing so, eating unleavened bread and bitter herbs, we demonstrate our reaction to the events which we have been found in. In doing so, we do not give a place to devil, but we stand on the position of the promises of God. We are called to protect Israel, our body, from this destruction and to call the inexistent as existent. And now, when this truth has become revealed to us, then our reaction will de- will define our position. And we know that those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. In the last aspect, the tenth one, to eat the basic lamb in haste. We have stopped to look at the concluding and triumphant condition. In which the redemption of God is called to triumph over death and sin. And this is necessary to eat the basic lamb in haste. And thus you shall eat it. A belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Exodus 12:11 The element of haste when eating of the Pesach was so important 
that it is numerously mentioned in scripture as an unchanging law. This element was used in the exodus out of Egypt, and this particular element could serve as a sign of circumcision of our heart and our ear. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 3 You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. We today will continue to study the seventh sign of haste that will serve as a remembrance for us and a remembrance for God. This, having been strengthened with all might according to the glory of God in all patience with joy. Colossians Colossians 1.11 Strengthened with all might according to the glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. For this it is necessary to accept God's help in the inheritance of the mercies of God. This is prayer or worship, because prayer is none other than the right, the right that a person gives to for heaven to interfere in the sphere of earth. In this right, we are called to give God only on His established conditions. And one of these prayers is written in Psalms 142, in which He gives God the right to interfere in His life. His mercy that dwells in her heart in the boundaries of the legal framework of truth. This has become the subject of our following study. And so I will read this. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. Remember the days of the old and meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. And so, to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right, a certain right that could serve for God as proof that he can interfere in David's life with his mercy and truth. And with this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me. He provided arguments, the foundation, why? why God should hear him. And these arguments 
also must be evident in our prayer so that we also can be heard by God. And I will list them. Hear me because of your righteousness and truth, because I remember the days of the old and all your works, because I spread out my hands to you, because I trust in you. Hear me because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me for I run to you. Hear me because you are my God. Hear me for your name. Hear me for your mercy. And hear me because I am your servant. In today's service, we, according to the mercy of God, are going to be looking at the second important component. This is evidence that David dwelled. He dwelled in the remembrance of the days of the old and all the works done by God in these days. This is a very important component in which David stated in that he brought to God in prayer as required proof, saying, I remember the days of the old, I meditate on all your works, I muse on the work of your hands. And so to keep in our heart a remembrance of the days of the old and all the works of the Lord in these days, this means to keep in your heart truth and righteousness that testify before God the results of the great work of redemption which God or which gives God the opportunity to demonstrate his manifold mercies in our heart. In other words, in order to be heard by God, it is necessary to remember the works of God in the days of the old. We arrived at the need to explore these questions. Well, first, who or what by nature is a remembrance of God's works in the days of the old? Second, what purpose is a remembrance of God's works in the days of the old called to fulfill? And as always, the price we must pay to remember God's works in the days of the old? Or how do we place this remembrance on the tablets of our hearts? And fourth, what results will follow after discovering in ourselves, this is already the presence of it, the presence of remembrance of God's works in the days of the old. Looking at the first question, what is a remembrance of God's works, its properties, and definition? We came to a conclusion that remembrance is the storage or well of information and impressions that we received from the physical and spiritual dimension from our genetic lineage of our forefathers and the events of the past and present. In other words, this remembrance is found in the cells of our body, and they are the keepers of that information that has been given to us from our forefathers, irregardless of our desire, whether we want this or not. These are include the events of our life, these include our our character, our desires, but our goal or our calling is to place a completely different kind of information there, a different kind of program, and in order to place something new in there, new information, it is necessary for us to erase that which we already have, that which we already endowed with. It is necessary to take off the old man to renew our thinking and then to renew ourselves with resurrection, placing a different kind of information there from a completely different source. And I remember well when 
I had an event take place. I remember this clearly. This was in 1995 in our church. In one of the Sunday sermons, Brother Akadi had read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And then one of the seraphims came, and in his hand, a live cold which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. At this moment, I was already a member of the church about half a year at that point, and I clearly knew, I understood, that I have to be a living cell in the body of Christ. But my lips were not closed from jargon jargon, and unclean words. And pastor said, all those who desire to clean their lips and come out on the altar, for the seraphim is right now here with the live coal in the tongues. I came out on the altar with joy and trembling because before this I tried to uh, I tried to somehow control my words and I thought well how will this happen to me right now in this moment? The service was over and God made it so that I, I forgot this that which was in this service. A week passes and on the next Sunday Pastor says the following words, Remember, who came out to repentance, who cleansed their lips? What happened with all of you? I was astonished. Because not only did I not control myself, my mouth began to be filled from a completely different program. Only after a certain amount of time did I begin to understand what happened. At that time, I was very enraptured by the Word of God. I purchased for myself um, a cassette player that I I used to listen to our services and I had the opportunity all day long at work to listen to sermons. Two or three months this cassette player would break because it wasn't meant to be used so often. I would return it, would receive a guarantee and replace it and this was about three or four years until these players stopped working or stopped selling and I began to place a different program and I realized what happened as a result the fact that I began to engrave on the tablets of my heart completely different information therefore according to scripture it is the remembrance that contains the essence of a person as well as his sovereign boundaries for as he thinks in his heart so is he Proverbs 23 7 considering that remembrance is information contained in the format of thoughts. It follows that keeping on the tablets of our heart and proclaiming before God His works that are made by Him in the days of the old, we are transformed into the image of thinking, yielding the works of God. So we will be transformed into our thinking, which yields the works of God in our heart fulfilled by Him in the days of the old, long ago, he fulfilled them, but we enter into these works, which on our end is expressed in the right that we've given God to interfere in our lives with His mercy. As written, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. And we will remember that when focusing on the power of our capabilities that God placed in us in the moment of our creation, 
We cannot keep in our heart the remembrance of God's deeds fulfilled by Him in the days of the old and look at the works of humans at once or simultaneously. This does not work. And so by keeping in our heart a remembrance of God's works done by Him in the days of the old, we erase from our memory the deeds of people and information that was passed down from the sinful life of our forefathers. Therefore, after we have blotted out, we are called to keep in our heart the remembrance of God's works done by Him in the days of the old. And this is our decision to choose life. This is our decision, role, and the responsibility of ours. And if a person does not do this, then as a result, no one is going to be able to blame God. Today, people blame God for the events that are happening. Where God? Where is God looking? Why is this happening so unjustifiably? This is not so. People are reaping what they have sown. And therefore, to erase the remembrance of God's works in the heart of man by focusing our eyes and thinking on the works of humans means to deprive ourselves of the right to eternal life and condemn ourselves to death in the lake of fire. This is awful. The remembrance of man in itself is the weapon of man, and if we deprive him of his memory, he will look like a destroyed city. Psalms chapter 9, verse 6. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. And a remembrance of God's works is the inheritance of Christ, and it is passed down from one righteous nation to another. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. Psalms 102, verse 12. And so a remembrance of God's works in the heart of man is God's holiness, hallow in the subject of his unfading glory. Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Psalms 34 According to many sayings in Scripture, all of God's miracles made by Him in the days of the old can be memory in our heart if they are written on the tablets of our heart because these reminders reveal to us, they must be reminders who God is for us and what He has done for us. Psalms 111, verse 4, He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The second question sounds like this. What purpose in the relationship between God and His redeemed child is the remembrance of God's work in the days of the old called to fill and sealed on the tablets of our heart? And we, in a certain format, have already looked at three components. I won't list them, uh, but we will turn to the fourth component. The fourth purpose of the remembrance of God's works is the breastplate on the chest of the high priest. This item that lay near the heart on the chest of the high priest differed from the other items that served as a memorial before God. It differed in its status and its purpose. It served as a continual memorial before God. A continual memorial before God. I will read this place of scripture, Exodus chapter 28, verses 15 through 29. And although these words, Moses, were written, the Lord himself had spoke them. 
You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship, workmanship of the ephod you shall make it. Of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. It shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in golden settings. And the stones shall have the names of the twelve sons of Israel according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings, and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold, and put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make, and put them on the two shoulder straps, underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately, intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod, using a blue cord that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart, when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. Basically, when the place of worship in our heart coincides to the norms and conditions of truth expressed in the order of God's theocracy, on which God placed a memorial to His name, then for the entrance into the Lord's presence, we will need an element of a continual memorial before the Lord. This is the breastplate of judgment that we must always carry in our heart to serve as a continual memorial before God. And this means that this decree related directly to the heart of of a person. The material means measurements and makeup of the breastplate of judgment we can receive only one way, through edification and faith. This is not just the sign of an usher. When a person becomes an usher, he is given a sign. No, this is the work in order to come to this and to have this breastplate. It is necessary to, to expend our energy and time on this. We should define the fact that when we are talking about the breastplate of judgment as a continual memorial before the Lord, we are talking about the format of a continual prayer that must meet the requirements of the breastplate of judgment. There is certain, uh, there is a certain, uh, certain religion that call themselves that call themselves the. Prayers of, of Jesus Christ. They have incorrect prayers. 
incorrect prayers and they say lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on the sinner this isn't talking about a continual memorial and these are not those that fulfill feats in their prayer this is a completely different kind of component of a continual prayer that we are talking about therefore continual prayer is referring to vigilance and a commandment that defines the state and atmosphere of our burning lamp lamp meaning our spirit continue watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man luke 21 36 the order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains a sequence what when and how we are supposed to do it so that we can answer to the condition of God's worshippers whom God searches for himself. Each truth has its own statute and order and its specific order. If we break the order of this sequence, then the breastplate of judgment that yields the state and nature of a worshipper cannot be called a breastplate of judgment. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. To worship the Father in spirit and truth it is necessary to be a true worshipper according to the state of the heart expressed in motives and take pay attention here what stands uh, what stands main motives in which a man speaks truths in his heart which in practice means to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by God in scripture that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or their jealousy. And to always be vigilant in prayer and in this manner answer to the conditions of the state of a true worshiper, we will study the order and makeup of the breastplate of judgment and that sequence in which it is presented in Scripture. Exodus chapter 28 verses 15 through 16. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. The word breastplate in Hebrew is comprised of two words. A is the sound of the, the letter. The image of the breastplate of judgment finds its expression in the conscience of a person that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And as we will see later on, a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with the seal on the tablets of truth and righteousness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet earth and specifically the heavenly father searches for these worshipers for himself 
John chapter 4, verses 23-24 through 24. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Ignorance in the knowledge of truth. So ignorance, I think you know, ignorance is a lack of knowledge. As Apostle wrote to the Corinthian church, although I'm So when the preacher makes uh, certain errors in the way in which he speaks the word, this is not ignorant in in the knowledge. And on the contrary, ignorance in the knowledge of truth expressed in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh will not allow man to worship to worship in his spirit and his conscience that has not been cleansed from dead works and lacks truth in the subject of a breastplate of judgment that defines his right to enter into the presence of God to represent his perfect will. As we already know, the sacred ephod top is a woven product with an opening for the head. Therefore, the breastplate of judgment is a whole woven product doubled into a square a span shall be its length and a span shall be its width, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. The image of the woven product doubled into a square with a span as its length and its width is an image of our heart's sanctuary made of two parts, the holy and the holy of holies. A span in Hebrew sounds like zarat. This is the average distance between the tips of the thumb and index finger of the hand of an adult male. It is a measure by which God measures the heavens. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? weigh the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. One span is close to 24 centimeters, including three-eighths, figuratively illustrating the Trinity of the Covenant, which had 24 elders from the Revelation of John sitting before the throne and around him, which are intended to be as the true worshippers who worship the Father in spirit and truth. The image of the square-shaped product is an image of perfection that is tied to the image of the High Jerusalem, whose length and width are equal, whose temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Revelation 21, verses 16 and 22. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This was the temple of the Lord that was perfect. In this manner, the breastplate of judgment on the breastplate on the chest near the heart of a high priest contained perfect forms of the future temple in the face of the body of Christ, 
which is the church of Jesus Christ in the face of his bride, or God's chosen remnants from the many that are called. To the previous temple, it had an indirect relationship, like to an image, because the previous temple founded on the Old Testament in the face of the earthly Jerusalem according to its measurements was rectangular and was only a path to the square temple in the face of the new and high Jerusalem that was founded on the New Testament. Based on the meanings of it, based in Hebrew, on the breastplate of judgment and the image of the twelve precious stones, there were the following names of God upon them. The, in Hebrew, the names of the precious stones spoke of the names of God. So the stones themselves spoke of the names of God. For example, this is a cell. Sardius is Meleach, which means king. Topaz, this is Gamel, which is he who rewards. Emerald, Adar, which is the bright fire. Carbuncle, Eloah, which means revered. Sapphire, Ain which means sun, diamond or jasper, this is Elhai or living God, jacinth is Elohi, which means the almighty God is strong, a gate, El, which means most high, amethyst, Yahu, which means the Godhead, chrysolite, Eshaba, which means the greatness of fire, onyx, Adonis, and beryl means Yahweh, husband wife husband and wife together in one road in one word and these were the precious stones on the breastplate of judgment what's interesting is that in the names of each of the patriarch on each precious stone there is going to be a principle of a worshiper and we will meet with these principles of a continual prayer and what is interesting is that the names of the patriarchs were were engraved on the in, insides of these stones. No one saw them. On the front, this was a precious stone that was planted, placed in a golden setting. And on the inside, there were the engravings of the names of the patriarchs engraved. So if from the front, this was a precious stone, and on the other side, this was a name, then this was for God. So between you and God this was not for the world for the world was that which was on the outside superficial what man could see but inside the glory of God went forth but the name of God then there who God is for me this was on the inside who God is for me first the first thing from which the building of the breastplate of judgment begins from was from the woven work artistically woven work and there were called to be two men that created this work, one from the tribe of Judah, the other from the tribe of Dan. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses, and with him was Ahaliab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. Exodus chapter 38, verses 22 through 23. You see, these were professionals of their work. They were prepared by God in advance. They were in advance. They came to their perfection so that God could use them. 
From these words, it follows that in order to fulfill the carefully woven work according to the makeup of the breastplate of judgment, it is necessary to have the powers of Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, and Ahaliab, the son of Hehisamech, of the tribe of Dan. The name Judah, from, wh- from whom came Bezalel, means praise Yahweh, which in practice means the right to call on God, the right to practice the works of God, and the right to represent the interests of His justice. The name Bezalel means found under the shadow of God. The name Uri, his father, the son of whom he was, means the Lord is my light. And the name of Uri's father, Ur means, Hur means purity. Having united these four names in one definition, we receive the characteristics of a person who worships in the spirit and truth, or a person that is capable of fulfilling this carefully woven design and work in order to make on the breastplate of the ephod in his heart, in which was the breastplate of judgment. So this will be the following definition. Him who is found in the shadow of God, Bezalel, the Lord is the light, thanks to which he can have the property of purity in order to bring praise to God in the makeup of the breastplate of judgment and in order to meet the requirements of to be carefully woven or to be a true worshiper of the Heavenly Father who worships Him in spirit and truth, it is necessary to also have the property of of Haliab, the son of Ahisamech from the tribe of Dan. The name Dan from which came Ahaliab means the Lord is judge. In practice, to give place to the justice of God or judgment of God means to honor God as the supreme judge in order to not avenge for ourselves, our offenders, but to give place for the wrath of God. I had come to our pastor before with, for example, this kind of wounded heart. How do I be? These brothers did this with me. I think you know this phrase. And he said, are you able to rise up over these circumstances and give it all in the hands of God? And don't prove and don't hire a lawyer or an attorney. This is going to be a different way. You can go a different way than this. And I had this for several, in several circumstances. I know that this is very difficult to do this. But as a result, I saw what was happening with me and with those who had done this to me. I thank God that we have the opportunity to give place to the wrath of God. The name Ahaliab means God is my covering or God is my tent. And the name of his uh, father, Ahisamech, whose son is Ahaliab, means my brother is help to me. I'm not surprised that if all these names that we read in Russian that we are met with, in Hebrew they're going to, we might not even uh, recognize them when I was listening to 
specifically not just the names but certain psalms which we read and there they have the names of God and I thought that I would recognize them but no they sound different uh, they sound different with uh, differently in Hebrew and so having united the definition of these three names we receive the following characteristics of a worshiper who worship in spirit and truth or a person that is capable of producing carefully woven work in order to make up the breastplate of judgment at his heart. For a person whom God is a covering, thanks to which God gives him help through his brother in building the breastplate of judgment. A rather full meaning of carefully woven work in Hebrew contains a whole complex of capabilities that contain in itself the characteristics of a worshiper who worships the Father in spirit and truth. This is related to us. We are called to have these qualities and we are called to focus on the fact that we are called to, if we don't have them, to be able to receive and obtain them and we must collaborate with the truth so that we are able to gain these characteristics and these qualities. And so, to be woven, if you remember, a master of gold hands, if you remember this saying, a master with gold hands, master with gold hands, I want to say one thing, that we are called to be masters in relation to that which we hear. We are given an instrument from this pulpit, we are given the material, and I understand that we perhaps make a mistake we ruin the material but collaboration includes the fact that we must we must not be we must not be cast down if we do make an error but we are called to as it means to be carefully woman woven it means to ponder to meditate to make to make conclusions, to think about, to ponder, to focus our attention on the unseen, to make summaries according from instruction and faith, to be ready to pay the necessary price, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to gather or to be ready for relocation, to prepare what is necessary for relocation, to honor and cherish time so that we can do everything in its own time, to respect our messenger, to weave, to proclaim the faith of our heart, to make plans, this is what it means to be carefully woven. And perhaps we might make an error. We must not be based on what I see. Well, we must be based on what we know, what we have been taught, and say, that's all right. It will work out. I can do this. We will do it. The second requirement in the makeup of the breastplate of judgment says, make it as an ephod out of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and make it out of linen. It must be square and a span in length and span in width. The breastplate of judgment, the thread it was made out of, or the chains was 
made out of gold and it was made out of blue and purple and scarlet thread and from linen this means that we must have golden threads what are golden threads golden threads for the breastplate of judgment is the presence of the royal authority expressed in the tablets of our heart and not distorting the word of god so not distorting the word of god these are the golden threads if a person distorts the word of god this means that he won't have these golden threads and he will never be capable of collaborating with god and to create and make up his breastplate of judgment the wool itself that was taken this was a celebration in israel when the sheep were sheared remember when david had come and there was the shearing of the sheep from abel we know well that to shear is to take away the works of the flesh or to remove the works of the flesh there was an interesting situation i had in life when i purchased my first car in america that i went to pastor and at that time he uh, was a different pastor and i asked him to bless me in my new car in this new country of course he blessed me in my car and then we began talking about how the a pastor is not to just the work of pastors not just to bless the sheep uh, but to also shear and he started talking about money and i was astonished that no one had sheared me in this way before and then i had a thought something must not be right in this and what he is saying at that time neither pastor nor i did not know what the shearing of sheep was to shear the sheep is to give a kind of teaching as how as as uh, what it means to be rid of works of the flesh for all of that which comes from the flesh these are the works of the flesh we are talking about a person not an animal in this case and when a person would come to god and when he would repent it was necessary for him to do something and for seven days every day he sheared himself of all of his hair including his eyebrows eyelashes everything along his whole body he washed himself with water and sheared himself and only then he can be pure this means that all that comes from our flesh what any kind of open wound this was a an expression of the flesh and so the wool of a living sheep was an expression of the works of the flesh and a shear sheared sheep represented a person that has died to sin in the face of his nation his household and his corrupt desires and now it becomes known that wool was that which was once alive but died thread is death that which was alive but died they no longer grow from the flesh this is the presence of death in us this is the result of the flesh that has died this is the fact that all of us have died to our nation to the house of our father and to our corrupt desires the thread made out of blue was the presence of the glory of god on the tablets of the heart expressed in the resurrection of christ which was the result of the death of christ we must remember that the blue color always represented the image of heavenly glory and so wool is the fact that a person has died 
and the blue color present is the result of resurrection that a person has already risen and now the thread out of scarlet this is the presence of humility which was the collaboration of the will of a person with the will of God that is present on the tablets of the heart of a person Songs of Solomon chapter 7 verse 5 Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel and the hair of your head is like purple A king is held captive by your tresses And we know that purple or rather the color purple is the image of acceptance of the authority which God has pre- God has presented for us. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses, it says. And when the worshiper of God has these kind of threads, then God is uh, demonstrates his favor to this person. And when this kind of person calls out, the Lord says, I will hear him because God is held captive by the state of a person, that which he has with these threads made out of purple, purple threads. This is the proclamation of our faith, the proclamation of our heart, the proclamation of our humility before God. The thread made out of scarlet is the presence of sanctification in which a person represents evidence of his cleansed conscience that is present on the tablets of his heart. Let us read Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. When you come to appear before me who has required from your hand to trample my courts, bring no more futile sacrifices, incense and an abomination to me, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meaning. Where was Christ crucified? The answer is given by little children. They say, in Jerusalem, beyond Jerusalem, beyond the wall. Scripture says in Revelation 11.8, This is the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. The multitude of Christians called Sodom says, bring no more futile sacrifices. It seems as though they have their motives lack in this. They don't have this breastplate of judgment. They are not worshippers, God. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me when you come before my countenance who seeks of you for you to trample on my courts the new moons the sabbaths and the calling of assemblings I cannot endure iniquity of this sacred meeting your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates they are a trouble to me I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. 
Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Someone, they hear this, this is joy. To someone, this brings upon fear. When we talk about judgment, then judgment, it is not just punishment, punishes someone to go to jail, someone that needs to be executed, but justice our judgment also rewards. Therefore, when we talk about judgment, remember when a person is a sinner or wicked, then all of a sudden the judgment to him is some kind of negative negativity. But when for a righteous person, for him, judgment is joy. It is that time that he is waiting for. Therefore, the reign of the resurrection of Christ, this is the best time for us that we are going to receive as God's judgment, His justice. And this is what His relationship to us will be expressed as. And so, the woven, woven uh, linen is talking about our repentance. How does God look at sanctification or our cleansing? When a person begins to be sanctified, then God says, "They shall be, if they, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they shall be as wool. Repentance is the first step to sanctification. Therefore, proclamation is the first step to this. Woven scarlet is a white thread that is rarer than golden thread, and it was made out of this linen flax, according to the law of Moses, to be made out of a garment and mixed seed was prohibited. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. And this was so. This was Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. Here we see on the breastplate of judgment, there was linen and wool present. However, this was for the priests. If they, going before the face of the Lord, are not going to be clothed in the garments of different kind of mixed linen and wool, they would die. They needed to wear this mixed wool, mixed linen and wool. Just like doing any kind of work on the Sabbath, this is not to relate to the priests. If the priests do not violate the Sabbath in their temple service, they will die. They always violated it. Because in the Sabbath, they needed to serve. They needed to light the fire, to add the oil, and there was a lot of other work that needed to be done in the temple. If he would not do this, then he would simply die. God would, um, God would punish him. Just like an ordinary person, punishment does not, punishment does not, 
sees a person who does not honor the Sabbath. For us, the withholding of our tithes and using them for our own needs is, as we know, a sin. For a priest, this is the means for the means for his home and this is good this isn't established the fact that the wool was woven this means that it had double strength a thread that is in th- uh, that is tied in three it is strong linen represented righteousness which was christ himself we should remember the fact that a person in the law did not have righteousness the law judged him condemned him therefore did not have righteousness but for the priest the law of grace was present it was in their breast put a judgment this woven thread spoke of the death and resurrection of christ and therefore the thread made out of woven linen this is the fruit of the spirit in which a person represented the results of death that he died for his nation for his household and for his corrupt desires in evidence of clothing himself in the fruit of righteousness yielded by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this is not just evidence of death, but this is also evidence of resurrection. This is the future. This is justification. And today, in its majority, the church is deprived of this service. Our service, as I remember, the first thing that I heard is, you are justified. I didn't understand fully the meaning of this word, you are not forgiven, but justified. And upon the presence of this kind of collaboration, a person will come to the light. And when he is only corrected, he repents. But when there is no justification, this will be woe to him. Woe to me, I am a sinner. It is written in the word, Scripture says, let the righteous fall seven times. Who falls? The wicked? The righteous. But they will get up. The righteous will get up. The wicked will fall once and will not get up. We must remember that the righteous are those that are redeemed by God, which means that they belong to the heritage of God, which means that they are born of God. And those who are not righteous, he does not give birth to them. And when he sins, he is deprived of righteousness. People think, oh, he is not deprived of righteousness. When our children fall, in dirt we told him don't go there you're going to slip and fall he fell what should i punish him no i must take him home wash him up change him wash his clothes and also kiss him because this is your child and this is normal therefore when the righteous repent they have the opportunity to get up but the wicked they fall once and do not get up again he wants to justify himself a a different way but God has has no other way. Amen. Let us bow our heads and thank God for this word that our pastor had offered us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bow down before you together with your saints on this holy place that your hand has outlined. 
and we thank you that you have given the opportunity to bow before you and we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ we thank you that you have made us partakers of your divine essence according to your mercy Lord we have not disappeared for your mercy is renewed for us every morning great is your faithfulness Lord we thank you Lord for the opportunity to submit ourselves to your word which has become not a slogan in our life but has become our inner strength our state we thank you Lord that we have rejected our intellect and have begin to proceed from your words we thank you for our calling to be clothed in the dignity of a warrior prayer in the dignity of a king priest and prophet we thank you Lord that we are able to hear your word which you anoint you know that all the commandments of man we have hated your law we have loved and therefore we are found in this place because your word has become for us a lamp a lamp upon our path for our feet because we can wash ourselves with the word with pure water considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God we hold on to this proclamation unceasingly because we know with our whole heart that faithful is the one who began this work in our life and he will lead it until the end and we thank you Lord we proclaim that the program of the fallen cherubim in our life is going to be destroyed completely and that the reign over the resurrection of Christ will reign in our bodies we thank you Lord for these precious promises that are poured out through all of Holy Scripture and are presented to us by the man of God and we thank you for our pastor we thank you Lord for his full healing and his full restoration we thank you Lord for this lamp among the people may he be blessed in his spouse and all his whole household we thank you Lord that you have made us our own in Christ Jesus that we are able to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God we thank you as the Lord lives our rock we will not stumble praise be to you our Almighty God Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and now friends let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy to God our Savior who alone is wise through Jesus Christ our Lord the glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen <laughs>